holiness. At our church, we're studying the book of Acts, that powerful book of God's people bursting with life from Christ's resurrection and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It opens with the promise, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and the mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire of Pentecost, followed by heart-rending sermons adding 3,000 converts to the early church. The untaught devotion and generosity of the new believers, the dramatic healing of the lame man, evidencing Christ's miracles now at work through the apostles, the courageous testimonies declaring obedience to God and not to man. Through all of this, we see clear evidence of the Holy Spirit's power actively working in the people's lives as they surrender themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A new Sabbath is instituted in that they now meet on Sundays to memorialize Christ's day of resurrection and they share their resources to commemorate Christ's generosity in laying down his life for them. God's great blessing was upon all of them, we read in Acts 4.33. It's a time of great exuberance and delight and the new church feels unstoppable. Then comes Acts 5. And you can almost hear the gasp. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira owned a piece of property. In agreement, they decided to sell that property and like so many others they'd seen, bring the proceeds to the apostles. However, their generosity was tainted by their lies as Peter's reproach indicates. Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do such a thing? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Ananias and Sapphira hoped to appear, appear abundantly generous. Like Cain in Genesis, they wanted their offering to appear blameless. They weren't interested in pleasing God, but in presenting an image of faultless liberality, in receiving accolades from others instead of the well done from their heavenly father. Was God concerned about the amount of the gift? Absolutely not. He was disturbed by the deceit of the givers. He despised that they treated him as a stepping stone to personal greatness. The result, their hearts stopped. The breath of life ended. The consequence for those who witnessed or heard of this event, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Did God want to stop their exuberance? Did he want to rain on their parade of praise? Not at all, but he wanted to remind them of who he is, a holy God who can't be used for worldly purposes, who won't approve lies for personal gain, who won't permit pretense for authentic worship. He's establishing truthfulness, integrity, and righteousness to ensure the early church doesn't become a club for partygoers, a haven for happy sappies. 
a casual contender for faith instead of having earnest devotees of decency. God illustrated this for the children of Israel when Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, carelessly offered fire to the Lord. In Leviticus 10, although assigned the role of priests and given specific instructions on the order of offerings, they forged ahead on their own and paid the consequence for their disobedience. This is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. This occurs a second time when David attempts to return the ark to a city. It had been stolen by the Philistines, recovered by the miraculous intervention of God, and then it's time to bring the ark of our God, David said, for we've neglected it during the reign of Saul. But in the course of the journey, the oxen stumble, and Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the ark. Immediately, the Lord's anger is aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he had laid his hand on the ark. So Uzzah died there in the presence of God. What was the problem here? One, the ark should never have been carried on a cart. It was to be borne on men's shoulders. Second, the family of Abinadab had housed the ark for some time and undoubtedly became familiar with the ark and as such no longer treated it with reverence. Thirdly, Uzzah thought he needed to rescue God's ark, like Moses who impertinently struck the rock to provide water for the complaining Israelites. Uzzah touched the ark in a vain attempt to keep it safe. He treated God casually, and the consequences were tragic. In each of these incidents, from Cain in Genesis to Aaron's son in Leviticus to Uzzah in 1 Chronicles, we see evidence of people who were careless about God's greatness. They failed to recognize God's holiness and considered him one of the boys. But God isn't one of us. He isn't like us at all. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present. He is the creator of the universe. As it says in Revelations 4, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. He is the author of life, as it says in Isaiah 42. God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. He is the one true God, as it says in John 17. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one true you sent to the earth. When the prophet Isaiah had a vision of God sitting on his lofty throne and this train of his robe filled the temple, Isaiah heard the seraphim calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then he felt the temple shake and the entire building fill with smoke. He was overwhelmed. 
and he said it's over i'm doomed for i am a sinful man i have filthy lips and i live among people with filthy lips yet i have seen the king the lord of heaven's armies isaiah was overcome by the holiness of god and his own unrighteousness but god intervened as he does with us sending a seraphim to the altar to collect a burning coal and touching the lips of isaiah saying see this coal has touched your lips now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven in a similar manner the blood of jesus christ has touched our lives and cleansed us from all unrighteousness as it says in first john one but if we don't remember that our cleansing comes at the cost of christ that our eternity is paid by the blood of the spotless lamb we too will be casual about our faith we will rest in grace instead of realizing it is a gift from god salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so none of us can boast it says in ephesians 2 it is because jesus is holy that we are saved he is perfect that we are redeemed he is without sin so that our sins are paid in full scripture holds numerous references of god's holiness like exodus 15 who is like you among the gods O lord glorious in holiness awesome in splendor performing great wonders or first samuel 2 no one is holy like the lord there is no one besides you there is no rock like our god and what is the evidence of his holiness he does not lie as we're told in psalms 89 he always does what is right as we see in isaiah 5:16. his mercy and his goodness reveal his holiness as it says in isaiah 29 for when they see their many children and all the blessing i've given them they will recognize the holiness of the holy one of jacob they will stand in awe of the god of israel so does his judgment show us this when i bring judgment against you sidon he says and reveal my holiness among you everyone will watching will know that i am the lord even so his fulfillment of his promises shows his holiness this is what the sovereign lord says the people of Israel would again live in their own land, the land I gave my servant Jacob. For I will gather them from the distant lands where I have scattered them. I will reveal to the nations of the world my holiness among my people. Thus we are called to honor the Lord for the glory of his name and worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Zechariah prophesies this in Luke 1 when he says we've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Peter instructed his flock of this in 1 Peter 1. Now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Paul explained this to the Romans. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. And to the Corinthians, he said, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from 
everything that can defile our body or spirit and let's, let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. And even so, we are to act in a holy manner in our marriages, he tells them. To further this aspect of holiness, Paul writes the Thessalonians, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. And God disciplines us to so that we can grow in holiness, as we read in Hebrews 12, and calls us to live in peace with everyone so that we may work at living a holy life, warning that those who do not live holy will not see the Lord. And how do you treat the things that God calls holy? Scripture tells us that the Sabbath is holy, as is the temple, which is today our church. Are we casual about these things? To be holy means that we set ourselves apart from the things of the world, and we know that the two don't mix. It's like taking a clear, clean glass of water, which is our lives cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and throwing in a handful of dirt, the world's corruption. It's hardly a glass of water we'd want to drink or offer to others. We are told not to bring shame on his holy name, and nor to taint the display of his holiness by doing or living the same way as the world. For it is the Lord who makes us holy. And it is by the Holy Spirit living inside of us that we can aspire to holiness as we're convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment. If we let him have free reign in our lives, we cannot help but be growing in holiness and leaving behind the things of the world. Therefore, we can say, as the Apostle Paul did, that we are living with a confidence and a clear conscience that we've lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all of our dealings. We've depended on God's grace and not on our own human wisdom. That's how we've conducted ourselves before the world, especially towards others. So let us, beloved, therefore strive to walk on the highway of holiness, for that's the road for those who choose to walk in God's ways. That's where they walk and have a life pleasing to the Lord. God bless you, everybody. God bless you.